We're talking about race and the church. We've been in a series now for a couple months, and uh, we've come to the part of the, ser of the series where it's time to put behind us the uh, trying to uh, convince you of the problem and the problem within the church. We're not talking about race relations in society. We're talking about race relations within the church. And uh, that's where we've come at it from. I told you from the beginning that this was not a political series. It wasn't a message on politics. It wasn't a message on social justice. This, this, this entire series has been race and re race relations within the church, within the body of Christ, and not just our church here in New Life, because we are represented uh, by several different uh, cultures and several different ethnicities within our church. We are by no means, uh, we, we by no means have a, a huge, amazing balance of, of races within our church, but we do have many different races and cultures represented within our church. But throughout the body of Christ, there's a problem. And that's what we've been trying to address because I believe that the problem within the body of Christ as it, as it pertains to race and racial division and racial segregation is, one, is, is a problem of unity. And it, it, just, it presents a distorted and fractured view to the world of what the church is. And as I'll say as we get into this message a little further, a hypocritical view of what the church is supposed to be. Um, I will say this, I didn't mention this in the nine o'clock service. Uh, we're gonna be this week and next week, maybe one more week on race, but I don't think so. I'm praying about that right now. But our next series, I've been praying about this next series for about a year. Um, and the Holy Spirit's really been, been tugging on me in the, just the last two weeks. I've had confirmation that that's the direction he wants me to go. Uh, I've preached the series before here at New Life. Uh, but I'm going to be preaching a series on roadkill, lessons we can learn from roadkill. And it's all about, it's a series about, I, I, I research, it's amazing you can research this stuff. I research, I, I've researched the, the 10 most popular animals to be hit on the road and killed on the road and, and uh, make some applications uh, spiritually to us in, their, in what I perceive as their attitude. It's all perception on my part of what their attitude is. I don't really know what a skunk thinks, but um, I just look at his actions and make spiritual application to that. So I uh, will be looking at that. We'll be getting into that series here in a couple weeks. But we're going to be finishing up our series on race and the church, and we're on message number two on how, to, uh, how do we fix this. Now that we've identified the problem, we know the problem exists. Hopefully, and I said last week, if, if you have come to this point, if you've paid attention to all these sermons and listened to all my sermons on race in the church, and you've come to this point and you say, yeah, you know what, I just think Pastor John is, is, full, of, uh, uh, is full of it, and there's really no issue, I don't know why he makes such a big deal of it, because there's no problem with race and the church, and everything's wonderful, and everything's, everything's fine, everybody loves the way it is. If that's the way you are, then I got nothing for you. Seriously, if you've come to this point, and if you, I, honestly, if you can look at life in America right now and say that there's not a problem, and if you can look at churches in America and say there's not a problem, then I really don't know what to do for you. So we've kind of left that alone, and if that's where you are, um, you know, I, I kind of brush the dust off my feet and move on. But what we're trying to do is come up with solutions. How can we fix this? And, and there's no magic wand that I can wave. I can't be Harry Potter and wave a wand and say, what, is the, what are those things, Natalie? We have a Harry Potter expert here. What is that with the deer? Wait, his, 
you know, his, his, his patronal charm, right? I can't do those kind of things to change everything. You know, and that's not real. But we can look at the Word of God and look at and think of uh, and understand ways that we can change. And yes, I used the C word in church. Ways that we can change our mentalities, our vision, the way we see things, and our actions. And that's what we're talking about in this series. It's brought us to the question now, how do we fix this? Last week I started uh, this series, this sermon that is a, a three-part sermon series. And I gave you three points, the three points that we'll be covering in this series. The first one we talked about last week, speaking with honesty. It's important that we speak with honesty. And, and I've, I've told that, in fact, I was talking with Cliff Nurse, one of our deacons, who is from uh, Panama. Uh, Cliff is not white. <laughs> okay. uh, Cliff's a man of color. And we were talking before the service. And I, I said, Cliff, that's, you know, we, we, he was talking about that he watched the sermon the, from the first service. And I said, it's all about you being honest and telling me honestly. And I said, that's how I've learned so much from men like Cliff and, and Melvin Edwards and other men that, I've, uh, that I know at the gym and, and other places in life. If they're willing to speak honestly about their experiences and what life has been like for them, then those of us who, can, who have never experienced that can learn from them. Speaking with honesty was the first one. Today we're going to be talking about thinking with sincerity. And next week we'll be finishing it up with acting with integrity. Acting with integrity. And I also gave you our text verse, which we find in Philippians chapter 3. And it says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. One of the toughest things we have as human beings is, to, is the the task of putting our past behind us. And forgetting the failures, forgetting the victories, forgetting the struggles of our past, and moving forward in our present and our future with a new vision, and a new goal and a new perspective. And it's so important, if you're going to, if you're going to be uh, productive, and if you're going to be successful in your life now, then you need to put the past behind you the past failures, the past struggles, the past attitudes, the past people many times. We need to put them, isn't that the hardest thing we have to do as human beings? Uh, uh, putting past people behind us, those people that hurt you so much, those people that, that really held you back and, and, and pushed you down. Putting them behind you so that you can freely move without that weight on you. If every follower of Jesus would pursue and address so, uh, racial issues and understanding this way, then I believe we would see an amazing and enormous change in the church. And I believe we'd experience true unity and revival among God's people. Because I believe true unity and true revival among God's people, among the church, the body of Christ, is true racial unity and revival where, no, we may not all go to the same church, but we all fellowship together and everybody's welcome everywhere and everybody feels comfortable everywhere. That's what 
that's what it should be. Our text challenges us to think deeply and to think intentionally if we truly want to change and become the person that God created us to be. And I want to remind you of the guiding principles that we set out in the first message way back when in this series, when we started off this series on race in the church. And if you remember, they are, number one, you must admit that you do, you do not know what you do not know about race, race relations, race relations in the church, and what the Bible teaches about your attitude towards other races as a follower of Jesus. If you are going to learn from the Word of God and you're going to learn from other people, from other brothers and sisters in Christ about what it is like to be a person of color in a white church or what it's like to be a person of color to grow up in a white neighborhood or to grow up in a society that has been designed and made for and run by white people. If you're going to understand and know and try to grasp what it's like to be a white parent raising children of color, then you're going to have to admit, set your pride aside and admit that you do not know what you do not know. You have to. If you're going to learn and be educated, you have to admit that you do not know what you do not know about race. And the second thing is you must accept that people of other races and your own race have different experiences and perspectives than you do when it comes to treatment from attitudes towards racial issues. This is something that Aaron, myself, and Risa can understand because we are white people raising children of color. And other white people in our, in, in our circles, in our, even in our families, are not doing that. They're not raising. Now, my family, my, my parents, they are grandparents of children of color. My sisters and my brother are aunts and uncles of children of color. And they are having to, I, I haven't really, you know, we haven't sat down and had deep discussions with all of them, uh, with my sisters I have, um, but they are understanding and learning because it's a different world. It's a different experience. And we've got to admit and understand and accept the fact that people, even people of our own race, have different attitudes and understandings and different experiences about what it's like to be a person of color, what it's like to be in, in their situation. If you're not willing to accept that reality, then you're just not trying, right? If you're not willing to accept that there are different experiences and those different experiences shape the way we see life even as believers they shape the way we look at at the world um, as a Christian and thirdly you must commit to applying the principles of the Bible to your view of people of a different race than you and that'll be next week we'll be talking about acting with integrity and that really wraps that whole idea up there being willing to apply the principles of the Bible to your view of people of a different race that is, is so incredibly important that now that you've learned that the Bible says that we are all equal in the eyes of God and there's really no biblical reason to be segregated in church, well, now you've got to apply those principles and those scriptures. And now you've got to start living that way. Something has to change. 
not give, change. Life in the American evangelical church is divided and segregated. And not only does it not please God, it makes our faith hypocritical and shows a fractured witness to those outside the church. Understand that. The, the racial division and the segregation in the church, the evangelical church in America, remember, evangelical churches, we're the ones that believe that human beings are sinners, that that sin has judgment and a payment, and that payment is death, and if we die without Jesus Christ as our Savior, we believe the Bible teaches that you will spend eternity in hell. And we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And that if we accept the fact that we are sinners, we can't save ourselves, that our works aren't good enough, but Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, and we ask him to come into our heart and save him, and we receive the gift of salvation, we will be given eternal life and live in heaven forever and escape hell. That's what we believe. Did you know that traditionally black, many traditionally black churches in America today believe that same thing? Did you know that many traditionally uh, Latino churches believe that same thing? And many white churches believe that same thing. So we are all the body of Christ teaching the same things. Yet, we are not unified in our witness. We are divided. We believe, check this out, man. We believe that Jesus Christ died to save every person of every color. Jesus, look out. Jesus died to save people of color, just like he died to save white people. Yet, we think it's acceptable to God to be divided in church by race. That's a hypocritical uh, belief, a hypocritical statement, and it shows a hypocritical witness to the world. And I'll tell you what, here at New Life, we've, that we do not have a history of that in our church, and it will never be, and we are going to be more, uh, more focused and vocal about the fact that we are not a white church that we are welcoming to everybody, and we want everybody to come to our church and feel welcome and feel just like my brother and my sister because the good, good father is the good, good father to my white brothers and sisters, my black brothers and sisters, and my brown brothers and sisters. And that needs to be understood. And yes, it needs to be stated. What would it be like if you went to a restaurant? How would you feel if you went to a restaurant and the server came to your table and said, I know what you want, and just went back and told the cook, never met you before, just by your looks, they assumed that they knew what you wanted and brought you a meal. I don't know what they'd assume about me, but I'm sure they'd bring a lot of it, okay? Um, but you wouldn't like that very much, would you? Because that person doesn't know you. But going by the assumption of how you look, they are making a judgment about what you like and what you prefer. Don't we do that in church when we see people of color come in to our church and say, man, what are they doing here? Why did they come? Did they take a wrong turn at the sign back there? And somebody turn it around like Jurassic Park? And instead of saying, welcome to East Long Meadow, it says, welcome to Springfield, because we know that they're not welcome to East Long Meadow. Did I say that out loud? Uh, you see, we have to understand that that presents a hypocritical witness to the world, and we've got to get rid of that.
Today we're moving into the second phase of our action plan by being challenged to think with sincerity. Think with sincerity. Now you may wonder about the order of these first two sermons. The first one was, um, you know, speaking with honesty. And usually we're told to think before we speak. But I believe when it comes to this issue, it's important that we speak with honesty first so that we can gain the knowledge, we can gain the data, we can gain the, the understanding and get what we need so that we can sit down and think. It's important that we have those conversations with people of color and, and have those conversations with, uh, with our family and with others so that we now have a bunch of things to process, that we listen and read different things so we now have some things to process and to think about sincerely. Not just, listen, I, I, when I talked to Aaron, when Aaron and I talked several weeks ago, before she went to the hospital, when we talked about this series, we talked about race and, and pastors having round tables and, and the discussion, <clears throat> I said, Aaron, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you this, they're going to move on. And they're going to move on quickly. This is not going to be a compelling discussion, right? This is not going to be a compelling discussion. This is not going to bring about change because most of these guys are going to move on, and they have. What I read now is more about how to open and whether or not to open, and they can't decide whether or not. I, seriously, there are still people having the debate over whether online church counts. <laughs> Dude, we're way past that point. Okay, we're way past that point. If you haven't, if you haven't caught, caught up with the program, I believe we need to be in church live. Okay, I believe that the church needs to at least offer that. Not everybody can be here. We have several people today because of, because of the weather outside. It's very hot and muggy. and We've got we, thunderstorms coming in today. <laughs> so several of our people in the church uh, decided to stay home today because of the weather. I get that. I would rather stay home and watch it rather than collapse in the parking lot. You know what I'm saying? Cliff? Yep. Um, but... What we're not past is the issue of racial division within the church. So we don't need to move beyond it as if it was just a fly on the wall that we slap and address for that short period of time and move on. But that's what's happened. The church in America has moved on. At least, at least the, the ones that, the, the, the outlets that I read and listen to, and, and they're pretty varied. Hopefully, all of this will be productive thinking that causes us to see problems, search for solutions, and make necessary changes in our lives because change has to be made. Change has to be made. The first challenge, I believe, that involves thinking with sincerity is to think about your thinking through the lens of the Bible. You've got to think about your thinking through the lens of the Bible. And that may take a couple times to repeat that because it did for me and I'm the one that wrote it. To think about your thinking through the lens of the Bible. Okay? We've got to, we've got to evaluate how we think. I mean, there's so many different ways of thinking, right? There's so many different ways of, of coming at a problem. And some people are, uh, some people think very analytically. Any analytical thinkers here? Uh, we have many people who are analytical thinkers. Some people, yes, my wife waved, waved her hand in the air. 
as if there were no consequences. There, there are some people who are creative thinkers. There's some people who think about every issue with empathy. And there, there's many different ways of coming at a problem, thinking about a problem. But I think the most important thing for a follower of Christ when it comes to race and the church is this, that we think about our thinking through the lens of the Bible. Consider the way you address problems and issues and what filter or lens you normally view everyday life issues through. Is it through your political lens? Do you look at every problem or every issue going on in society, and hey, we have a couple going on today, don't we? Do you look at those problems in society through your political lens? Let me tell you, I am a firm believer. I said it in the first service as well. You can go back and listen to it on Facebook Live. I said the same thing. I am a firm believer that we are in the end times. I am a pre-tribulation uh, a believer, I believe that Jesus Christ will return and the rapture will occur before the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation period, before the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe the church will be taken out and the world will be thrown into a tribulation period of seven years that is the final, uh, the final warning to the world to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the Bible says leading up to that time, there will be signs of the time, signs in the heavens. The Bible describes them as birth pains in the earth. That's why it talks about, um, it talks about um, earthquakes and it talks about changes in the weather patterns. I mean, we're living that, man. The, the weather is crazy all over the place. Uh, it talks about um, disease being rampant. It talks about wars and rumors of wars. I mean, how many, how many different fronts are we being talked about right now for war in our country, war with China, war with Russia, war over a virus, war over a vaccine, war over this, war over that. And I'm telling you, when, when the election happens, is it November 4th, I think? November 3rd, one or the other? November 3rd. I'm telling you, there's trouble coming, folks. I'm not, a, I don't, you don't have to be a, a genius to see that. If a certain individual gets reelected, there's gonna be trouble. And if that certain individual doesn't get reelected, there's going to be trouble because that's the way our society is right now. We are at that point. Everything is going crazy in our world. And it's not that these things haven't happened in the past. We've had political turmoil. We've had uh, diseases. We've had earthquakes. We've had, all of this is happening at the same time. That's what Jesus said. And in, if you look at the days of, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the, when the Son of Man returns. The days of Noah are described as completely immoral. All the thoughts of their hearts were evil continually. Okay? Um, yeah. Check that box in the uh, society of the world right now. I won't get into that because that's not what this message is about. Secondly, the days of Noah were described in several different, several different verses. Uh, when, when Moses wrote about the days of Noah, he said those days were violent. Violence pervaded. We have armed militias roaming around cities in America today. We have people defending their property with automatic weapons. We have entire city. I don't understand this. Just as a, as a citizen, I don't get this, man, how a mayor can just turn over part of a city to lawlessness. I don't understand that. I don't get that. But that's happening in America today. And all of this is happening at the same time. That's the key. 
once again, that's not what this, but what this message is about, but it illustrates my point. The way you, what lens you look at what's going on, what lens you look through to see the events that are going on determines the way you think about it. Are you thinking about these things through a political lens? Are you thinking about them, do you view them through a racial lens? Do you view them through the lens of your heritage? Do you, do you view them through the lens of your family and your family history, the way you were raised? For a follower of Christ who is supposed to have become new and be pursuing a new mind, we should be looking at church, life, and societal issues through the biblical lens. What I just went through, talking about the end times and the signs of the times, that's looking at what's going on, in my opinion, that's what's, that's what's called looking at what's going on in the world through a biblical lens. Matching up what's going on with, matching up what is going on in society with what the Bible says about certain times. There are many, <laughs> many pastors and other people that disagree with you completely. I've had discussions with them about it. One guy even told, even wrote to me and he said, John, you can use anything, any end time scripture to justify any time in history. Well, you know what? That, I gotta tell you, Cliff, you know what the Bible says about the end times? That there will be Christians who are not watching and are not aware. And I gotta tell you, folks, if you are looking at what's going on in the world today and don't see it all congealing together, at the same time as being a sign of the times, I just don't think you're ready. I don't think you're paying attention. You're not looking for it. Jesus himself said he'll come as a thief in the night. Many Christians won't be watching. That's a sign of the times. That's looking at it through a biblical lens. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. Thinking in a human way as a follower of Jesus is corrupted. If you are looking at what is going on in this world, if you are looking at the issue of race and the church in a human way, with human uh, comprehension and through human logic, that is a corrupted way of seeing what we're talking about. Because God wants you to look at these issues through a lens of the Bible. I apologize, I'm going to have to use this stool. I have never used it before, I don't believe. But... Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a replaced hip, a replaced knee, and a fused foot, and my right leg has gone numb, so rather than fall down, I will sit down. <laughs> How's that? Um, looking, at, looking at life in a human way, looking at what is going on in society today through the lens of humanity is corrupted. Romans 1, 28 through 32 Paul writes, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I mean, are you listening to this stuff? This is America. I mean, this is society today senseless, unworthy, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. We live in a day and age in this world, in our society, where evil is called good and good is called evil. That's just the way it is. But God says you're different than that. You've accepted me as your savior. I've given you a new mind, a new heart. I've given you a new way of seeing things, a new way of looking at things. 
And now you must view what is going on in this world through the lens of the Word of God. And that will give you an understanding of what's going on and how to deal with it. Ask yourself a couple questions. How does it appear to others? How does what is going on and what I'm doing and what is going on in my church as far as race and race relations, how does that appear to others? What do other people think of what is going on? How does it look as a follower of Jesus? As someone who declares my faith in Christ, as someone who declares my love for Jesus Christ and my following of the Word of God, how does the way I look at race and race relations and the church look to other people who are not followers of Jesus? Do they see what they hear about, from, about Jesus in my life and my attitude? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I won't mention his name, but in Alabama, there's a state representative in Alabama. He gave a convocation or a closing prayer at a celebration of the life of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Now, many of you may know of Nathan Bedford Forrest as the man, the general from the, uh, the Southern Army, the Confederate Army, for whom Forrest Gump was named. Right? Forrest Gump was named in the, in the book. He was named for Nathan Bedford Forrest. It was ironic. Um, and he was named after him. But you may not know that Nathan Bedford Forrest was the first grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK. He was the first grand wizard. This state representative from Alabama gave the closing prayer at the celebration. In other words, he participated and gave his blessing through prayer at the celebration of the life of the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. He received a lot of backlash because of that, a lot of negativity. You know what he did? Because he was bivocational, he's a state representative, but you know what his main job was? He was the pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Alabama. Say that again. The pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Alabama, United States of America. And an, <laughs> a Christian man, a, God, a, a supposedly godly leader of, a, of an evangelical church. We're not a Southern Baptist church, but our theology lines up very closely with the theology and practice of the Southern Baptists. In fact, what we were established as a, as a Baptist Bible Fellowship Church, they are a, an offshoot of the Southern Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Convention. So this church claims to believe what we believe and preach. Everything I just talked about, about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world and you needing to be saved, this church preaches and teaches. Yet this pastor gave the closing prayer and gave his blessing over the celebration of the life of a man who was the, lead, the very first leader of the Ku Klux Klan. How does that make our brothers and sisters of color feel about unity, love, and respect from white Christians and white churches? Seriously, isn't that a question that's fair to ask? Ask them how they feel about that. How does that make you feel about the white church in America? You know what else this guy said in an interview? He wasn't asked to resign, by the way. His church didn't ask him to resign. 
he resigned on his own because of the backlash. You know what he said? He said, I'm stepping down because of the issue, but I know that as I pray that God will lead me to my next church. You know what I say? Yeah, he's going to get another church. Because there are people that will bring a man like that into their pulpit. Why? Not because of his great preaching ability or his deep knowledge of the scriptures. Not only, but because they agree with what he says and stands for. Once again, how do you think that makes our brothers and sisters of color feel when we talk about unity and we're all the body of Christ and it's all about love and he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father as long as you're a white person in a white church and a black person in a black church and a, a, a brown person, Latino person in a brown Latino church. He's a good, good father as long as you're segregated. Ask him how they feel. How does that make followers... Now, now, that's bad enough, okay? And that's, deep, that's a deep enough question. But let me ask you this. How do you think that makes Jesus' followers look in the eyes of the world outside of the church? You know what it makes me think as a pastor? It makes me think that they are looking at us as ground zero for racism. Seriously. If we're going to be able to credibly make necessary changes, we must begin to see the issues of life and race and the church through the lens of the Bible. Secondly, we must think about what others see and hear from you. You must think about what others see and hear from you. Chuck Colson said this, if our culture is to be transformed, it will happen from the bottom up, from ordinary believers practicing, ap practicing apologetics, that is the defense of your faith and the explanation of your faith, witnessing, as those of us from, our, from my generation would say, <laughs> apologetics over the backyard fence or around the barbecue grill. In other words, listen, all right, I've sat about as long as I can. Oh, now I'll stand again. Uh, listen, I can preach whatever I want. I could preach as hard as I want. I could preach uh, wonderful messages if God, if God gives me that ability. But change will come when the people in the church and people will be reached with the gospel when you out there, when you watching on Facebook, when you in the congregation leave this place and go out into your world and your community and your family and your neighborhood and share Christ with your friends and neighbors and family members. That's when true change will happen. That's when, when, when true uh, reaching the world will happen. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9 say, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Just because you say that you value people of all races doesn't mean that you are seen by others that way. Just because you say, oh, I'm not a bigot, I'm not a racist, I think everybody should be equal, doesn't mean that others see you that way. Actions speak louder than words. Being silent isn't an option anymore. You must speak out with your actions and your words. I would ask, I, I've been very transparent and Aaron has been able to watch all of these, and, and we've talked about my sermons 
together, and uh, I value her opinion greatly um, because she knows me, and she knows whether or not the guy you see up here is the guy that is out there. She knows if I'm credible, if I'm being acting with integrity and honesty. So I value her opinion very highly uh, when I preach and after I preach. And we've talked about these things, and I've been very transparent with her, and we've been very transparent, and she's been okay <clears throat> with me talking about our experiences, especially the recent experiences that we've had with Gabriel and Michael and their treatment by others, their, their, uh, the acts of racism towards our boys. Now, I would make the application this way, and, and I, I use myself and my family as, as illustrations because it's much easier to use me than it is to use other, other people because I don't usually offend myself, <laughs> okay? And I don't want to step out of line and, and hurt somebody's feelings uh, by using them in a certain way. But I, I would, I would, when I want to make that point here, being silent isn't an option anymore, you must speak out with your actions and your words, I would ask you this. If you are out in the community and you hear somebody or approached by somebody that knows our situation and knows what went on and speaks negative, and it's happened to me, it's happened to me as the father, spoken negatively about our experience and our willingness to speak out against the racism that our boys have experienced, how are you going to respond to that? How will you respond to the person who is speaking negatively about my wife and myself and my two boys and their experience about racism? Will you be quiet and just listen and let it go? Or will you speak up and say, listen, man, what you're talking about is wrong. The way they were treated is wrong. It's racist and it's racial discrimination and it has no place in our society. You see, that's the difference. We are no longer in a place of, of being able to be silent on the issue. It is time that the church speaks up and speaks out and stands up and defends what is right. And I will state it emphatically, racism is sin, racism is wrong, and there it has no place in the church, it has no place in the life of a Christian, and it has no place, it has no place in society, period. That's not the way God created us to be. And as Christians, once again, going back to the old messages, we are complicit if we don't speak out against it. Just the fact of the matter. By speaking up and speaking out, this will be the unity principle in action. The principle that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17, may they all be one. The principle that Jesus uh, taught about in the Bible teaches us throughout about how the church should be unified and be one. If we will speak up and be allies instead of, uh, instead of agitators, if we will admit that there's a problem rather than saying there's nothing to see here, then we will gain credibility with our brothers and sisters in Christ in other churches, and we will be able to work together. It doesn't mean we're all going to have to come to church together, but at least we, we will cooperate together and be able to work together over things. Emmanuel Acho said this, you can't address a problem that you don't admit exists. You can't address a problem that you don't admit exists. If you will not admit that racism and racial division in the church is a problem, there's nothing you're gonna do about it. Third thing we need to do, I believe, is think without fear. 
Think without fear. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Think without fear. Meditation is simply thinking with a purpose. That's what meditation is. It's thinking with a purpose. And if we will make that purpose of our meditation, understanding God's word and God's way and God's plan, that's why I go on drives or used to take long walks or take long bike rides because during that time I can listen to the word of God or I can listen to sermons or I can just be quiet and allow God's spirit to speak to me through while I pray and allow him to give me understanding and I can meditate or think with a purpose on certain things so that God will give me the understanding I need to then uh, write the sermon that I need to write or have the conversation or have the counseling session or just be a good father and a good friend. Or, and a, and a, a top-notch husband. <laughs> Meditating and thinking with a purpose. That is thinking without fear. You know why? Because some of the things that you'll learn may hit close to home. If you will think with a purpose, if you will, thi if you will meditate on your attitudes and the attitudes of the church and the actions of the church, Therefore, the actions in society about what is going on with race and the church, if you'll meditate on those and think with a purpose, you may realize that some of what you learn hits very close to home. And I will say this. There's nothing wrong with being a person of color, and there's nothing shameful about being white. Don't apologize for who God created you as. But don't look down on other people because of the way God created them either. Think with a purpose about what God wants from you and how he wants you to see other people and the amazing benefits that come from accepting people as simply being equal creations in the eyes of God. Be willing to make uncomfortable changes. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight. The fourth thing I think we need to do is educate ourselves without bias. Educate yourself without bias. William James says a great many people think they are thinking when they are merely, merely rearranging their prejudices. A great many people think they are thinking when they are simply rearranging their prejudices. <laughs> How true. And Thomas Paine said, a long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right. If you continue to tell a lie long enough, you'll get yourself to believe that it's true. And other people will believe it's true. How many of us have the experience of somebody telling a lie about us for a long, long time, and people just, ex people just accept that, it, that as, it, as truth, when in fact, it really is a lie? But if you say it long enough, people will believe it. And you will believe it. How do we, how do we, how do we put that into action? Well... We listen to people intentionally. When you sit down with a person of color, or you sit down with a parent who is raising a child of color, you don't just sit down and make them feel good about themselves. You sit down intentionally to learn about their experiences. You educate yourself without bias. Don't go into that conversation thinking you know what's going to happen. 
Don't go into that conversation thinking you know what's going to be said. Educate yourself without bias. So th listen to people intentionally, and don't just read what makes you comfortable. Read outside of your comfort zone. Now, most of my reading, I, I read novels to kind of, a, kind of, a, kind of escape um, life and just kind of let my mind wander into a good story. But I usually read Christian books. If I'm reading anything outside the Bible, it's usually Christian articles, Christian books, things like that. <clears throat> but when we brought the boys into that, when we adopted Gabriel and Michael, it was very, very soon that we saw that not only did our lives change because we now had twin sons, we saw that our lives changed because there was a racial difference in our home. And we were white, we are white, and Gabriel and Michael are brown. And as I started watch, seeing things go on in the world and watching things go on in the world, I started having those conversations with, with men of color to try to learn. And it was my goal to start understanding. And I wanted to understand the perspective of being a man of color growing up in America. So I went out and bought the book Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's not a Christian book. It doesn't claim to be a Christian book. And it's raw. But I learned from that perspective what it was like to be a man of color growing up in America. The options that were not there. The attitudes that had to be confronted. And the freedom, the, the, the feeling of total freedom when he went to a historically black college and left a white society. And it was amazing to me. Right now I'm reading, I'm still here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Austin Channing Brown is a woman of color. Her parents named her Austin because they knew that as a woman of color growing up in society, if they gave her a traditionally black name or the name of a woman's name, that doors would be closed to her right off the bat. But if they gave her a man's name, a name that sounded like a man's, a white man's name, then she would at least get her foot in the door and people would read her resume. And she said, I always thought that that was, I asked my parents about it and that's what they explained to me. And I always resented that and never understood it until I went on my first interview and I walked in the door and the guy that greeted me there to take me into the meeting room looked at me and said, oh, you're a woman and you're black. Because the assumption was it was a white man applying for the job. And what attracted me to that book was the fact that Ms. Brown was raised black in a white church. And I wanted to, I'm, I'm learning through her what the experience is from an, from an outsider. People who aren't traditionally welcome or made to feel welcome in white churches. And came to the time of dating in the youth group and a young man of color started going to the church and people tried to set those two up because they were the same race.
So it's amazing what you learn when you get outside of your comfort zone and you think and educate yourself without bias. And while you're educating yourself, and as you educate yourself without that bias, give deep and productive thought to what you hear and read. And look at it and use that productive thought through the lens of the Word of God, as we said from the beginning. Look at what you hear and read and process that in your mind and in your heart through the lens of the Word of God. And that will begin to form in you an understanding of how God wants you to be racially towards other people and how God wants his church to function in unity. And lastly, apply what you learn through intentional thought. Take what you've learned through that intentional thought and now apply it to your life. We've had to do that with our sons. We're learning a lot of things from people. We're learning a lot of things from reading. We're learning a lot of things from the way people are treating us and our boys. And we're having to make applications in our lives. And you know one thing, one of the sad things we're having to do, Cliff? We're having to have those conversations with our nine-year-old sons. That's not fair. Risa, you know what I'm talking about. That's not fair. White folks, it's not fair. You can cry and kick and scream and talk about reverse racism and all that stuff all you want. And I'm telling you as a white man in America, a white father raising two brown boys, it is not fair that I have to talk to my two brown sons about why people hate them because of the color of their skin. Listen, I can explain to them why nobody and why no kid wants to pitch to Gabriel because he hits the ball. You know, it's got an exit velocity at the age of nine of 85 miles an hour. I can explain to people why nobody wants to hit the ball to left field when Michael's out there because he's a stinking black hole with his glove. And if the ball's anywhere near him in the air, he's going to catch it. And why nobody wants to run from first to second or second to third on the shotguns they have for arms because at nine years old, they throw like a 15-year-old. I can explain that to them because that's sports and that's understandable. But what's incredibly difficult is to get, to my, get my nine-year-old sons to understand racism, bigotry, and why people hate them simply because of the color of their skin. And I'm telling you, it's not fair. And if you're sitting here as a white person or you're watching as a white person whining about that, whining about being, had, have white privilege thrown up in your face, I'm saying to you, grow up and start thinking with a purpose about your attitude. Because as Christians, we need to see the way God created people as the way he created them for a purpose and with love. And this needs to be a place of unity and love and acceptance of all. Apply what you've learned through intentional thought. Be willing to fight the fights that you need to fight. Be willing to fight the fights that need to be fought. Listen, we don't need to fight fights about the color of the carpet. We don't need to fight fights about what instruments are appropriate to be played in church. Those are silly. We need to fight the fights about who is welcome and seen as equal within the walls of the church and how we view our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and the color of their skin as being equal or not. 
And we need to view, view the, the problem and fight the fight of the problem of the white world not wanting to reach out to the world of color and win them to Jesus Christ and leaving a whole segment of the population up to other people of color and not trying to reach them intentionally. Those are the fights we need to fight. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 4, 3 through 5 say, <clears throat> For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Christians, destroy those arguments. Tear down those strongholds. Don't let your pride get in the way. Fight the fights that matter. Fight the fights today. Equality out there begins with equality in here. Equality in society begins with Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, seeing each, other's, seeing each other as equals in the eyes of God and having no problem whatsoever worshiping and fellowshipping with people of other races. Determine to be a better follower of Jesus because you're a better thinker. Determine to be a better follower of Jesus because you are a better thinker. And I will close this out by reading to you Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Choose life. You have a choice. You have a choice of how you're going to look at this issue of race and the church, of how you're going to think about this issue and how you're going to act about this issue. Choose life so that our children won't, our children won't have to say, fight these same battles in the church, so that we can put this behind us, so that we can have unity, bridge the gap, tear down the walls and build bridges, and the church will be unified in reaching the world where color isn't, doesn't matter. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for another wonderful, phenomenal day in church. Thank you for those who were able to come out today and join us live. Thank you for those who are watching us on Facebook. God, I know we're addressing difficult topics, not difficult from the, for, to understand from the word, God, but difficult to accept for many people. Lord, sometimes it's just so hard to to have that desire to really think about an issue and, and really come to grips with the matter. But Father, I pray that we will be people of hard, intentional thought and that we will truly dig in with our minds, viewing all of this through the lens of your word to find out about ourselves and find the answers that need to be found so that we can be people that honor you God, would you bless us? May we bring glory to you and to your name. As we leave this place today, Father, may we go out as worshipers, as followers, as servants of yours, armed with your word and with your love. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.